0: Hey, good morning everybody, both uh, watching online this morning and here on campus. Uh, what a beautiful day here. Uh, if you would please grab your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 16. I uh, also want to mention as we do every Sunday, the church center app. If you have not downloaded that yet, I would highly encourage you to do so. Everything that you need uh, and can access for the church, but also here on Sunday morning, sermon slides, place to take notes, connection card, prayer requests. Uh, it's all there in the app and uh, you can enjoy that. And let me mention too, if uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, and my name is Ryan and one of the pastor's and uh, just so glad that uh, we are all together here this morning. While you're turning, I want to give you a special invitation of something coming up this Saturday. Uh, The missions course has been going on. Many of you are are involved in that, and it's been an amazing several weeks uh, of learning more about God's heart for the nations. Uh, But we have uh, for everybody, whether you're in the missions course or it didn't work for your schedule or whatnot, to be a part of that. Uh, We have a special opportunity this coming Saturday. You see, with the missions course, each week, Uh, a different speaker has flown in here to central Iowa and uh, one of their times there is here at New Hope Church and and they're the best of the best. I mean the best speakers on all these different topics to, to equip us and to challenge us in this area. But coming up we're bringing out the best of the best. In other words, the guy who is the one that's sort of the featured, the people get most excited about. His name is Nathan Allen. You see a picture of him up there behind me. And uh, he is coming up here pretty, pretty soon. He's coming into town. But we here at New Hope Church, we're flying him in extra early just to spend extra time with you. And so on Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m., it's all free. Child care is provided. Uh, he's going to be here with us and a chance for you to get just poured into and encouraged with uh, really a sought-after uh, speaker. And so I just want to highly encourage you, put this on your calendar. Plan to come on out. There's more information on the Church Center app if you want to learn more about uh, who he is and what the event's all about. But uh, definitely want to encourage you to check that out this coming, uh, this coming Saturday. Okay, hopefully you're in 1 Kings. Again, chapter 16 is where we're at. And today we begin a new sermon series called Elijah. Uh, we are going to be looking at the life of this remarkable man and uh, the, just, just a biographical sketch of his life and how God worked in his life. Because here's the thing. Elijah, for us, though he lived in a very unique time and God used him in some very unique ways... He's also very relatable to us because he exemplifies the core attributes of what it looks like to follow Jesus. There's three of them. It is these. It's trust in the Lord, it's obedience to him, and it's relationship with him. Trust, obedience, and relationship. Those are the key attributes, the core foundation, if you will, of following Jesus. And we see it in Elijah's life and we get to experience it in our own life as well. So, so... In our journey here, we're going to be highlighting these three attributes as we go throughout the sermon series and look at his life. So hopefully you're there. Let's jump in. We have a lot to get to today as uh, we just love to study God's word and and dive in. Hopefully you have the back of the bulletin for taking notes or on the Church Center app. Let's get started. First, I want to highlight some background. We're going to take a time machine. I want to go back about 3,000 years, a long time ago, and just give us sort of some background and some setting to what's going on in the context of Elijah's life and ministry. First thing I want to highlight, in 1010 BC, you have King David becomes, becomes king. Forty years later, his son Solomon uh, steps onto the throne in 970 BC. So we have those two key events with two important kings. Now after Solomon's death, then in the year 931, God's people, the Jewish people, experienced a civil war. And they divided between a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And let me show you on a map what this looks like here. The northern kingdom is in the north, and they took the name Israel. The southern kingdom in the south took the name Judah. The, uh, the capital of Judah was Jerusalem, so that remained there. And then Samaria became the capital for Israel. Now, our, our, our working through the life of Elijah, our story, if you will, takes place in the northern kingdom. We're going to be in the nation of Israel's is where we're going to be at. Now, let's jump in. First Kings 16. We're going to start in verse 29 this morning. Here's how it begins. It says, in the 38th year of King Asa, king of Judah. So that should give us a cue. We're talking about the southern kingdom now. So it's giving us a time stamp. Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. There's the northern kingdom and reigned in Samaria, again, the capital city, over Israel for 22 years. Now, a little background on the northern kingdom. From its inception, as we're going to see here in a moment, all the way through until it expired, it was conquered, uh, the northern kingdom had 19 kings. Every single one of them was a train wreck. Every single one of them was awful. In fact, every single one of them, this description followed their name. In other words, this king, so-and-so, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Over and over and over again. And so as a result, with the leadership at the, at the government level, began to lead or mislead the people of Israel away from the God of the Bible. Leadership absolutely does matter. And we see this example over and over again. Now God, because he loved his people, sent prophets constantly into the northern kingdom, into Israel to try to win the hearts of the people back. It didn't really work. There, there really wasn't any, any progress. In fact, to be called to be a prophet, to go to Israel, that's a tough gig. That's a dangerous gig. Some of those prophets didn't make it out alive because of the, of the cultural setting that was going on at this time. Now, our account of Elijah's life takes place. We're going to move forward in time even more to 874 BC. This is when we pick up for us what we see here now in chapter 16, verse 30. Israel, as I just mentioned, they're in a dark place, but with the rise of Ahab, now as the new king, things are about to get worse. Let's read this together in verse 30, where it says this Ahab, son of Omri, here's the new king, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. That's saying a lot. Every king was awful. Every king was evil, but Ahab takes the cake. He's the sort of, it it ratchets up in terms of the amount of evil that he did. And then it begins to give us this account of his evil. It's gonna highlight three things. First thing, he said this, or it says this about him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Naboth, let me pause there real quick. It's like, what's that? When, Israel had the, when they had the civil war, and Israel begins to launch as its own nation, the first king of that, of that nation was Jeroboam, son of Nebat. What he did right away, in other words, new king, new era, new nation, his first policy he set into place was, we're not gonna follow the God of the Bible. We're gonna follow other idols of other nations. And so he began to lead for political gain the people of Israel away from the Lord. And so that's what it's referring to there. It continues on. It says, but he also, here's number two, married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. Now, if the name Jezebel rings a bell, that's her. Like, this is, this is the Jezebel. And we hear about the spirit of Jezebel and all those kinds of things throughout the Bible. But this is actually her. And she... Um, she was the one, we'll learn about her more, as the series goes on, but she was the one who instigated, promoted, and pushed worship of Baal. It was her idol from her hometown. She brings it to Israel. And the other thing about it, too, is we'll see clearly throughout the series, she, she was the leader of the marriage. She was the one who controlled Ahab, the king. And so, in other words, she was really the one who controlled Israel. She was really the one pulling all the levers behind the scene. We're also going to see as the series goes on, all the evidence points to this woman is demon-possessed. I'm not just sort of like throwing a title out, like literally, like the, 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 the things that she did and how she behaved and the things that she instigated has all the markings of that. So that's number two. And then it continues and it says, And they began to serve Baal and worship him. And he, speaking of Ahab, set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that is built in Samaria. So he built, he built a temple to this foreign idol. And it says that Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Now Asherah was the mother of Baal, it's all tied together, and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. And to give us a little context, because we don't typically drive down the street and see a church to Baal or anything like that. Like, we don't, we don't have that today. Baal worship, it, it is demonic. It, it, it was dark, sick. S- some of the highlights of, of when you would go to the temple uh, to worship this idol is, uh, first thing you would notice if you went there is the whole worship experience is all about sex. In other words, it was just lined with prostitutes. And so you would go to the temple, and that's what you would do when you would go to worship Baal. The other thing about this disturbing is that uh, the, the children that might have been born to those kinds of activities at the temple, those children were then murdered. They were sacrificed to Baal. They were burned and murdered and killed. These are the two hallmarks of this type of worship that is going on at this time. And thanks to the royal company uh, couple, that is, Baal worship was the religion of the land. That is what people were expected to do. They were expected to go and to participate in these kinds of things. This gives us a little taste, again, of the setting when Elijah stepped onto the scene. You see, what the Lord called Elijah to be a prophet to was not easy. This country, these people were far from God, they were steeped in this idolatry, and it was a challenge. But to relate it to us in our lives, though the details and the calling may be different, if you walk with the Lord long enough, you will experience that he will call you into something that is hard. He will call you to, to something where you have a very deep sense that this is bigger than me. This is something that I can't, I can't just do this on my own. I can't just fabricate it or gut my way through it with all the effort I can to make it happen. You see, the Lord will allow us to experience circumstances where we recognize what is always true, and that is we need Him. We're completely dependent on Him. And see, the key question is, in those moments for you and I, is will we trust the Lord? Will we trust Him in those types of moments? Here's our goal for today. We're going to meet Elijah We're gonna we're gonna see the beginnings of his ministry, and we're gonna see specifically how the Lord built his faith. In other words, built up his trust in Him. And here's the key: the way that the Lord did it then with Elijah is the same way He's doing it today in our lives. You see, faith or trust in the Lord—it's so foundational. It's so key to everything that it means to to walk with the Lord. In fact, I like this verse, love this verse, in Hebrews chapter 11 here where it says this in verse 6, without faith or trust in God, it is impossible to please him. My goal today and how I've been praying just in my own life and for you is that today's message would encourage you, but also challenge all of us to take a step deeper in trusting him with the details of our lives So let's get in. Let's just continue to jump in here. So the next question we're going to look at as we pivot now to chapter 17, we're done with chapter 16, uh, verse 1, is is meeting Elijah. Who who is this guy that we're going to be studying for the next six weeks? And and the short answer is we don't know a lot about him. We we really don't know much of of who he he was. This one verse in verse 1 really gives us sort of the key things that we know. Let's read it together. Chapter 17, verse 1, says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, and this really sets the plot for the whole narrative. This is going to move ahead. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. That's bad news for Israel. That is bad news for the brand new king. Not only will it not rain, if, you, if it doesn't rain, you hope you at least get dew. There's not even going to be dew. This is dry. Nothing. But what do we learn about Elijah here? Well, we learn his name. His name literally means, Elijah literally means, my God is Jehovah. So the name definitely indicates he had relationship with the Lord. We learn that he's from this community, Tishbe, uh, Apparently, such a small town. Nobody knows where it was. We know nothing about this town except that it's in Gilead. Now, with let me show you this map here. So, Gilead, for location wise, we back to the same picture. We've got the Northern Kingdom in the blue, the Southern Kingdom in the orange there, and but I've circled in red the land of Gilead. So it is. It is to the east of the Jordan River. It is not in. The promised land is not in the nation of Israel or Judah. You know what this means? This means that Elijah is actually a foreigner. He's not Jewish. God raised up a man from another country who loved the Lord to go back into meeting his people to bring them back to the Lord. There's some irony with that. The land of Gilead, uh, the people that lived there uh, generally had the reputation. Uh, this, is, this is rough land uh, filled with rough people and in general they were people who didn't like people this is the kind of people we're talking about and Elijah seems to have some of that he, he sort of has an edge to him he's he's kind of a guy's guy he's aggressive he's incredibly blunt and we just read about that I mean here's Elijah who doesn't set an appointment apparently but walks right up to the new king and delivers this news very boldly and bluntly this seems to be the the personality if you will of Of Elijah. And here's the thing that's going on because it isn't just God sort of being petty or like striking back. There's a great intentionality that I absolutely love that God is doing in declaring that there's no rain or dew for what's gonna amount to three and a half years. You see, and here's your first fill in the blank, and just, just to drive this home for us, it's this idea that in this scene and for our passage today, the Lord He is picking a fight with this idol. That's exactly what's going on. So Baal, I didn't mention this earlier, but Baal uh, was an idol devoted to two things, rain and fertility. That's what he was about. So rain, so give us good crops so we can eat and and, and whatever, and then fertility in terms of growing a big family. That's why people would go and worship Baal. So what does God do? He says, you're going to worship Baal, huh? Okay, the idol of rain, no rain. Turns off the faucet. It's not going to happen. See, what he's doing, again, he's, the Lord is picking a fight. He's, he's bringing a point of tension. In a sense, the fight card is set. You've got Baal in one corner. You've got uh, Yahweh in the other corner. And this is exactly what Elijah declares. I wouldn't be surprised if when he walked up to Elijah there, slapped on the back of his camel was a bumper sticker that says, my God can beat up your God, right? You've got this, this tension point here going on between these, the true God and this idol that is going to call attention to uh, who is the true God that we'll see later. See, the Lord is looking to promote his glory. He's looking to win back the people that he loves and so he says, no rain, no dew, until I give the word. It's quite a moment. Elijah just had this, again, this important moment. But what happens next is what's really surprising. Let's look at it together, beginning in verse 2. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He said, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Careth ravine, east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Okay, so honestly, this makes no sense. You, you, I want you to, this is the Lord now, to Elijah. You, you just had this experience. You confronted the king, and you're living. So that's a good start. But we're going to actually push pause on your ministry. I want you to go back to your homeland, back across the Jordan, back into this sort of area of Gilead, I want you to find this ravine, which by the way, the ravine literally, Kareth means to be cut off or isolated. It's sort of this out in the middle of nowhere. And I want you to sit by this ravine and birds are gonna feed you twice a day. This is like the original DoorDash, right? He's just gonna go, you're just gonna sit there and you're gonna wait for ravens to bring food. And on the surface of it, this makes no sense. Like this is something that, that I'm sure... I'm guessing at least for Elijah it would have been like come again like <laughs> one more time like what do you mean like that doesn't make any sense but this is what God is calling him to do and the question for Elijah of course is how is he going to respond is he going to trust God what would you do if you were in that position or he just you sense from the Lord a calling to do something that sort of in your own thinking you're like yeah, I don't know That just seems so different from the script. That seems so different from what I expected. But what I love, look with me now at verse 5, is how it begins and how Elijah responded. Because the measurement of trust and faith is always obedience. Verse 5 says, So he did what the Lord had told him. And he went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. That word stayed in the Hebrew means to live. I mean, he... He took up residence here by this ravine. And, of course, the Lord was faithful. And the ravens, they brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the, from the brook. We know, just timestamp-wise, Elijah was here for almost a year. He just, he just waited. He just sat there. And he waited on God. And the thing is, this scene, this is Elijah's boot camp See, this is the place that God took Elijah to grow him in his faith, the place where he took him to refine Elijah and to prepare him. This is just my opinion, but I think this move to go sit by a brook for almost a year and, and just wait on God is far harder than confronting the king. One's a moment, one's a season. One's a, a time of obedience, the other one is just to feel like you're on the bench That you're taken out of the game and that you're just there to sit and to wait and to wonder, God, what are you doing? This is a different thing. And the thing about it, those types of moments where God calls us to those types of places, one of the reasons it's hard or can be hard is it comes back to perspective. I know every single one of you have experienced what I'm about to talk about. And that is, in other words, that you go through an experience as hard or you experience a sense of calling towards something that doesn't quite make sense, your perspective on that makes a massive amount of difference. And so does mine. See, what happens is, and here's how this kind of works, is, is when we go through this experience, we ask a question. And here's the question that you and I always ask. It goes like this. What is my circumstance. And this is what we constantly lock into. What am I going through? What's really hard? And we constantly sort of take our temperature with like, how do I feel about this situation? How, what's, wh- how do I, what do I think about this situation? How does this impact me? And, and we go through just all these experiences where our, our emotions and our thoughts are all tied up with whatever challenge, whatever circumstance we're going through. I know you know what I'm talking about. And and when we do that, what begins to happen too is that we begin to sort of evaluate God and our faith begins to sort of potentially teeter or totter because of how we're evaluating God. What I mean by that is oftentimes the harder the circumstance we're going through, the harder it is to trust Him. You know what I'm talking about? It's like if it's really a hard, challenging thing, one of the hardest things you've ever gone through, it can be really hard to say, okay, Lord, what do we do with this? How do I go through this? In other words, these circumstantial moments as we wrestle with the question, what is my circumstance, begins to really reveal our faith in God. But I want to challenge you and I today to ask a different question. You see, every single person here has a circumstance. Every single one of us walked into the room in this building or you're watching online, there is something. There's something that you're going through right now today that you're very aware of. And you're asking this question, what is going on? But here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to ask you to to take the what is my circumstance, stretch that statement or question apart, and insert into the middle of it something different, and that is God. Turn the question of what is my circumstance into what is God up to? In my circumstance, This is a game changer. If we can learn how to do this in the things that we go through, this completely changes your perspective and mine. Because all of a sudden, here's what you've done. You've inserted God into the middle of your situation, whatever it is. You've inserted him into the middle of how you think about it, how you're processing what it is you're going through. All of a sudden, you begin to look at your circumstance with a degree of hope because God can work in the middle of whatever it is you're going through. All of a sudden, you begin to think, God, how can you redeem this situation that's hard, that hurts, that's absolutely confusing? And now we begin to ask, God, what are you up to here? Go through a situation like, I lost my job. And then all of a sudden, anxiety. Like, what am I going to do? And of course, that can roll through the mind, can't it? Constantly. But to ask them to say, God, you know I've lost my job, but what are you going to do in the midst? I cannot wait to see how you're going to provide and you're going to teach me some things as I go through this transition. Get a phone call from a doctor about a diagnosis you didn't expect. Fear. Fear hits and dread and worry of course and you lock into this circumstance it just runs through your mind you can't sleep at night even but then to call time out and say hold on a second let me fix perspective i'm fully aware of what i'm going through but i'm going to stretch this out put god in the middle and say god what are you up to in my circumstance lord what what do you want to do in this how do you want to work How do you want to work in my heart and life? How do you want to work circumstantially around me? I I didn't choose this. I don't like this, but this is where I'm at. And so, God, I can't wait to see what you want to accomplish in this situation that I'm going through today. When we begin to do this, this begins to change how we navigate the things of life. And I think it was probably the same for Elijah. Called you into ministry. You show up. You had a good five minutes, and God says, All right, you're done. You're back on the bench. Go sit in the land of you're cut off and everybody's forgotten about you, and wait for a couple Happy Meals a day to show up in this kind of random way, and just, I just want you to wait. You see, what the Lord is doing is significant. Because if we just looked at that data, if Elijah just looked at the circumstances, he could say, That's crazy. I'm sure I heard it wrong. God, let me me help you, like, come up with a good plan. But when we get God's perspective, God, what are you up to in this circumstance? Here's what we begin to learn. We begin to see that this was the way the Lord wanted to protect Elijah. Here's what he did. He took Elijah out of Ahab's territory, and he plopped him in a land of safety. He says, I'm actually, I'm not cutting you off. I'm actually preparing you. I'm going to take this time. I'm going to build your trust. I'm going to build your faith because, Elijah, you don't know what's coming, but I do. And it's going to stretch you. And it's going to be really hard. So I need to build you up. And the way I'm going to do that, I'm going to put you in a place that is safe. I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to teach you. See, now all of a sudden it's a different perspective. And it's like, oh, that makes sense. That. Seems like a good idea from the Lord, and we begin to trust him. See, for Elijah, this was his time of separation for preparation. And he'll do this in your life too. But again, when we see things from the Lord's perspective, all of a sudden it can make more sense. Here's the other thing that's happening. Not only we talk about perspective, but there's a principle that's highlighted here that I just want to mention very briefly before we begin to wrap up. And the principle is this, and this is just true for all of life, and that is the Lord must do a great work in you before he can do a great work through you. If your harsh desire is to be used by the Lord... That is a beautiful prayer, and that's that's an incredible uh, aspiration to, to work toward. But you need to understand that he has to work in you first. And oftentimes that has to do with two arenas, suffering and waiting. And he uses those moments. They're not wasted. They're so important. They're so good because he's working in you. He's preparing you. And this is what we see in Elijah's life, and this is what he does in our life as well. Because while he sat by that brook, and as God is working in him and preparing him, the next challenge didn't come too far later. Look with me at verse 7, our last verse this morning in 1 Kings. It just simply says this that sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. That's not good. So here is Elijah trusting God in calling. And he goes to this place and he's, he's got the water. He's got the food arriving. He's waiting on God. And now all of a sudden there's no water. Now all of a sudden he's in an unsustainable situation. What God does, he turns the heat up a little higher. He says, okay, Elijah, you've been trusting me in this miraculous way. Let's turn the heat up. He turns it up and now what's Elijah going to do? How's he going to respond in this situation? How's he, how, how he going to understand what the Lord is up to? Because trusting God with calling is one thing. To trust him in a crisis is another. And this is where he's at. And here's the thing that's the kicker. Just remember this. Elijah's in the situation he is with a dried up brook because this is exactly what Elijah prayed for. Remember, no rain, no dew, three and a half years. It's been about a year Everything's drying up. This is exactly what he was asking God for, what he was in line with, with God's call, and what he declared to King Ahab. In fact, just look on the screen behind me, if you would, please. In James chapter five, this is echoed and talked about where it says this, Elijah was a man just like us, which by the way, I love. He's no different than us. You're gonna see him and God work through, do amazing things and God work through him in an amazing way. He's just like us. He says that he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. In other words, Elijah was in a difficult spot because this was exactly what he prayed for. And this is a good reminder for you and I because sometimes we will pray for things not realizing and maybe not considering there's a cost with that prayer. For example, Lord, help me, here's a prayer, help me to become a godly man or a godly woman. That's a beautiful prayer. That's an important prayer. And we could pray that prayer, God, help me to be that kind of person. But the question remains, are you willing to pay the price for the answer to that prayer? God, help us to be a church New Hope Church that runs after your heart. Help us to be a church that is passionate, not just the, as a slogan, but in our heart's mission to help people find and follow Jesus and not realize we'll pay a price for that. Because, not because God's mean, but because God always wants to do something in us so that he can do something through us. And that becomes the principle at play that we see here. You see, the reality of the situation is something for Elijah that is relatable to us. Because every single one of us takes turns sitting by a dried up brook. That's true. Some of you here today, the job dried up, an important relationship dried up, Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, my marriage is drying up. You feel like your relationship with God is dry. Uh, You used to be a part of a local church and you loved the church and it dried up. And you have these types of moments where where it's just hard because it's drying up and And those are the moments, again, perspective and principle of coming back to God. What do you want to do in this circumstance is so important. And I just want to encourage you as we close this morning that if you're in a situation where you're in a dried-up brook season, that God is more concerned, or just as much concerned, if not more concerned, in paying attention and loving you in those places as in any other. In other words, the places and times in life when life feels like he's not there feels like he's gone. I want to share with you just a short passage as we close this morning from Isaiah chapter 49. Because I think it does a great job of demonstrating the heart of your father for you. It says this, but Zion said, the Lord's people that is, the Lord has forsaken me. The careth moments, the cut-off seasons. The Lord has forgotten me. Ever said that before? Ever sort of felt that before? And here's the response, can a mother forget the baby at her breast or have no compassion on the child that she has born? And though that she may forget, he's very clear, isn't he? He says, I will not forget you. He says, See, I have engraved. That word engraved means tattooed. That's permanent marking. He says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are ever before me. That expression, your walls are ever before me, we don't say that today. What that means literally there is that, that uh, the Lord says, I am concerned for your well being. I love you, I've engraved you. I will never forget you. I am absolutely concerned paying attention and working in the details of your lives, the circumstance, the thing, the thing that you're carrying that we're all going through. He loves to work in the lives of people who are experiencing a dried up brook. It's just who he is. But here's our part As we close this morning, I want to invite the band to come up, if you would, please. And I want to ask two questions. The first question is more reflective. But is trusting God for you something that is easy or hard? Like in general. Is it something that is easy or is it something that is hard? Is it something that where, where you go through a circumstance of life, it's easy for you to sort of naturally just turn to God and turn it over and to say, God, you have this, and I don't know how you're going to work, but I surrender it to you? Or is your default, because maybe that's harder to do, is to sort of solve it yourself, take it on yourself, worry about it yourself, put it on your own shoulder and say, I'm just going to grind my way through this. Like sort of how do you respond in the area of, trust. See, here's here's what we know by way of principle, that if we struggle to trust God, we will also struggle to obey God and to be in relationship with Him. The three ideas of trust, obedience, and relationship are all tied together. And so the Lord absolutely wants you and I to learn more and more of how to trust Him with the things in our lives, which brings me to my second question, the last question that we'll close with today. And that is, what situation are you facing today? What are you going through right now where you need to grow in trusting him? Where you need to take this, what is my circumstance, stretch that out and put in the middle of it, God, what are you up to in my circumstance? To get my perspective on you and to grow in trusting you with that. And to that end, I want to I ask you to do three things, which we're going to do here in just a moment but as you, as you have this thing and you go throughout your week, would you put this into practice? It's the three Ps. Number one is simply this perspective and that you would say in prayer to God, okay, Lord, here I am. So what are you wanting to do in this situation I'm going through? Help me to have your perspective. Number two, Praise. In prayer to God, then move into, I want to thank you, Lord, that you, is only you can do, that you have a way of working in the situations that I'm going through, that we're all going through, for good. Thank you, Lord, that you want to do a work in me so that you can do something very special through me to impact and to bless the lives of people around me. And so take a moment, first perspective, second praise, and then number three, which often this is what we put first and only. Lord, help, you know, fix, show up. But in number three then, you just say, Lord, help me to trust you in this situation that I'm going through. Would you try that this week? Would you, would you take these three Ps and just begin to work it out? Because here's the key. We don't just sort of naturally trust. We need to grow in trust. It's how it works in any relationship with anybody else or the Lord. And I think putting these, th- these three into practice will really help you and I to grow in this area of trust. Here's would like to do. We're going we're gonna to worship here in just a moment. Before we do, can we pray together? And we're just going to put these right into practice right now. I'm going to lead us through a time of prayer and give you some prompts of these three Ps. For whatever it is you're going through, and to begin to pray to the Lord this and let's let's pray together father we thank you for this morning to get into your word and to look at the life of this man elijah who you called to a hard task but you prepared him for it and you provided you built up his faith in the same way that you want to build up our faith too I want to invite you now to take a moment about perspective and to ask the Lord what He wants to do in whatever situation you're going through. to take a moment to talk to him about that. I want you now to take a moment to praise the Lord in gratitude and adoration, acknowledging to him that he can do a good work in you so that he can do a good work through you. Just take a moment just to praise him now in the midst of your storm and your situation. Now I invite you just to lift it up to to him. Lift up whatever it is you're going through. Father, we thank you that we see you more in the storms can see you more in those places where it feels impossible, those places where our faith feels weak. But I ask for each person here and watching online this morning that the thing that we're going through, that we would just turn that over to you. We would see you do a special work in and through us, that you would redeem and work through it. Father, you call us out, you call us up, help us to be willing to go and to take that step. And we all pray this in Jesus' matchless name.